0: Hello, listeners. Today's podcast was recorded and planned for release back in March. We ended up putting it on hold to bring you the last few episodes that are focused primarily on the impact of the coronavirus. So while there might be a couple things that sound a little out of tune with where we're at today, we thought that fatigue is a threat our pilots face even with our reduced schedules, so it was worth releasing. With that out of the way, here's the podcast. Today's swap a number
1: is 4346. That's the number of fatigue calls that have been made since Southwest started keeping track in 2011.
0: If you run the math, more than one in three of all SWAPA pilots have had personal experience making a fatigue call.
1: On the show today, we're going to talk to SWAPA Safety Committee Member Scott Hutchinson and SRC Committee Member Fred Deakins about those fatigue calls, the Joint Fatigue Safety Advisory Group, FSAG, and the value our fatigue policy provides to our pilots and the company.
0: I'm Kurt Heidemann, and joining me today is SWAPA Tier 1 Coordinator, Lexi Taylor. Hi, Lexi. Hey, Kurt. Lexi, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I've been at SWAPA since 2015, started in contract admin. I've now moved to Tier 1, which is part of contract admin, legal, legal. SRC, and NC to make sure that we're all coordinated and working towards a common goal. Uh, Prior to that, I was in training scheduling at Southwest Airlines.
0: And now you're one of our SWAPA podcasters. I am. Before we start, uh, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and uh, how you're involved in the SWAPA fatigue
2: program. Yeah, so um, this is Fred, Schedule Research. I started off by uh, just uh, helping uh, my uh, predecessor with a lot of the data analysis that he needed on the uh, fatigue group so I started off writing queries doing schedule research um, for uh, Paul Chastain uh, having to do with the window of circadian low and other various uh, data that the uh, that we needed um, there with the FSAG so it was just kind of a natural progression uh, going from uh, from that to uh, actually joining the uh, the FSAG and being a part of it and Scott. I uh, have been since uh, the beginning, actually,
3: before FAR 117 came about. So the company actually got pretty proactive and wanted to form our group, come up with our structure and rule set and so forth. So I've seen it from since 2011-ish when FAR 117 finally came out in 2014.
1: So since you've been here from the beginning, what have you seen in overall fatigue trends?
3: Uh, Well, if... You see, our fatigue calls keep increasing year over year. Um, Part of that's got to do with our pilot demographics growing, but also we believe that um, through education and awareness, our pilots are becoming more comfortable with making fatigue calls. We know very clearly that there is an extreme reluctance to make that call, and it's probably one of our bigger concerns not how many calls we have, but how many calls we are not getting that should be made.
0: Fred, uh, is the change in the schedule affecting the fatigue rates in other words, are we flying more you know later flights and
2: earlier reports is that having an effect? Absolutely it is. Uh, that in fact that's one of the um, primary trends that we are watching and noticing is the uh, schedule execution side of things is really ramping up the volume of our fatigue calls. So things like uh, just longer work days, shorter overnights uh, in fact those are two of our top three. Uh, causes of a fatigue call. So, uh, absolutely. And what's the third, since you mentioned the, two the, out of three? The third is uh, hotels. We actually build a very, very
3: great fatigue-minded schedule, but in execution is where everything comes apart. And that seems to be sort of a trend that uh, our SRC is, is uh, combating in
0: contract 2020 as far as the, the planning isn't the problem, it's the execution. That's exactly absolutely.
3: right.
1: So what would a pilot do in the instance of a, of a fatigue call?
3: Our fatigue call process actually works very well. And um, pilots, when they first go into it, it's likely their first time. And so they're a bit apprehensive. And once they get past that, they just don't know what to expect. They generally leave us with remarks saying they were very happy with how the process worked. Once they call crew scheduling, they um, are taken care of usually pretty well to their um expectations. And it goes very smoothly from that point on. Uh, the biggest point we want to get across there is, while well, if there's an opportunity for crew scheduling to catch you up to your trip, they're going to suggest some options, but you're in no way obligated to do what they want. For instance, you could ask and be placed into immediate rest, or you could volunteer to deadhead down line, for instance, to your next overnight and oddly enough, some people think, well, why would I want to do that? I just made a fatigue call. Why would I want to stay on duty? It generally sets you up to keep you on your expected body clock that you're prepared for. And it also coincidentally helps out crew scheduling by having you in place at that off station to start that next day.
2: Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, in addition to what Scott's saying there, you know, 99 out of 100 calls go perfectly well. Crew scheduling accommodates. The t- one of the times that we really see... Uh, some struggle or some difficulty is when the pilot is not being adamant during the call. They're not being uh, uh, directive, if you will. We call it uh, hinting and hoping. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So right. it's kind of like the, you know, the conversation is painful to listen to because it's all, it's full of suggestion and in, innuendo on the pilot's part. And the scheduler just doesn't know what to do with that because they're waiting to hear some trigger words like I'm fatigued. So, so, <laughs> so that's good advice. Basically, if a guy's fatigued, just,
0: Make the call. And be very clear about it. So talk a little bit about uh, if, I, if I do call up and I use the fatigue where I say I am fatigued, what's the, what are the mechanics of exactly what happens there? They, they pull me no question. Is that a true statement?
3: Well, again, that's another area of misunderstanding. There are questions. It's not at all about the nature of why you're fatigued. It's purely to see what you need next. Do we need to put you in immediate rest? If we're done with any potential flying and you're pairing, do we need to get you home? One of our latest improvements that came along, not just with fatigue, but also with the sick call online, is that you are given must-ride flight anywhere. That doesn't necessarily limit to you as it used to to your domicile base, but it could be to your commuter city. So that's a huge quality of life improvement that I hope people um, appreciate. Yeah. Take it's- advantage of
1: is there a certain time to call in fatigue other than the moment that you are fatigued? Like, would somebody call, I'll be fatigued in Houston when I get there?
2: That's a great question. You can make a proactive fatigue call. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, we encourage that because you don't want to be fatigued in the cockpit if you can avoid that. So if you can make the call ahead of time, I'm, I know I'm not going to be able to make this next leg, uh, then, then we really do want you to make that. Uh, proactive fatigue call. In fact, even crew scheduling, the managers in crew scheduling want you to make that proactive fatigue call. Yeah, we're actually, both sides are completely on board with that. They Having the notice
3: helps them, as you can imagine. And um, it also really scratches an itch our pilots want. They desperately do not want to strand our customers or even s- strand crew scheduling at an outstation like Omaha, where there's clearly no reserves there or nobody else be able to do this flight. So if we can give advance notice, they're very happy with that. Now, the pilots that have been around here for a while may remember there was a day where this proactive type of call was not allowed. That was a very clear direction from FlyLops that they have reversed their position on now.
1: When did that change happen?
3: It's been a couple of years now. Um, we've written about it in our articles, but um, it's just one of just so many changes that we've had along the way. Um, and a good example of how the program has just matured. This might not ever happen, but if I do preemptively call fatigue, can I reverse my decision?
0: Can I get to the Omaha and go, you know what? No, I'm good. I can do one more or whatever. Or does that just not happen?
3: Not only does it not happen, but when you make that proactive fatigue call, there's one extra component that's a little feeling uncomfortable at first and that the crew scheduler is required to conference in the chief pilot on call on the knock, And he's going to have a quick conversation with you, not questioning again why you're fatigued, But he wants to um, run through a risk matrix that he has that helps him to decide if you really are fit and not a risk to continue on this next leg you say you are. The legs that you are declaring further down the road are already removed. That's not an issue. But now the company is doing some internal uh, liability assessment. Is it okay to allow this pilot to continue on or not? As we've all learned in fatigue education, we know that the truly fatigued pilot is the worst person to assess their own um, fatigue level. Mm -hmm. And so this conversation with the chief pilot is more of an unbiased approach and examining some of these factors to determine if you really are fit to fly this next leg you say you are. So it's a third party assessment, not a hazing process. Not at all. And that process goes very smoothly as well. And, um, it spits out generally a low risk, a low, medium, or high risk answer,
2: and all high risk ones are automatically pulled. Not only that, I'll just throw this in there too. Usually, your first uh, decision is the correct one. If you're fatigued and you're making a proactive fatigue call, and then you get to your destination and now you're double, you know, you're thinking twice about that first decision. I would say and strongly encourage you continue with that first decision that you made because that's the, the best decision, decision you're going to make. Yeah, yep. sure. Error on the side
3: of caution. We do just the opposite as pilots. We tend to power through it and
2: later learn to regret it. Sure. Also, uh, speaking of proactive fatigue calls, Scott, you know, there is another new thing that came about. And that is uh, that we can actually uh, make a fatigue call with cars. Well, if you find yourself
3: at cruise and unexpectedly hitting that brick wall of like, oh, my gosh, why am I here? (laughs) Then um, if you want to give that advance notice, ACARS is a tool available. Dispatch will forward that message on the cruise scheduling and have some sort of replacement for you at your next landing. And that's been a change from
0: uh, the preemptive back in the other back that you were talking about. Well,
3: it's it's not a defined procedure. In fact, I'm not sure if anyone in the company has ever formally endorsed it, but it's just a fact of how the pilots are operating as pilots and just using the tool available.
1: So you have kind of three scenarios of calling in fatigued, you know, at the moment you're fatigued, in air, or preemptively calling in fatigued. And it seems like three different scenarios of who you're going to talk to, or is it still just the chief for preemptive and then everything else is a scheduler?
3: Well, you always go through crew scheduling and if they have to bring in a chief, they will or not, but they're they're the primary and only um, notification point.
0: There's a little uh, difference if you're calling in fatigued prior to the start of your trip. Can you talk a little bit about what that all entails?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, this has happened many times. Um, you show up for your trip and you see on your board that uh, you're going to have to sit in the airport for five, six hours before you can. Actually, let me check that. Let's not say five or six hours. Let's say it's three hours and 59 minutes. Okay. Maybe you woke up really early that morning. You were only scheduled for two legs and you knew you could do it. Uh, And now all of a sudden you have maybe two or three extra legs for your day plus a weight. So now your duty day has been extended significantly. And you know, absolutely, you're not going to be able to do that. So you can call in fatigued at that point. Now, we're going to get into a fine nuance here of how a fatigue call is counted in this particular situation. But for the sake of discussion, I'll bring this up here. Uh, If you call before your report time and call fatigued, they'll pull you fatigued and they're going to pay you out of your sick bank. If you call after your report time, they're going to pull you fatigued and they're going to compensate you at company convenience. So there's two separate codes, Not, not really that we're concerned so much about the pay, But uh, this does happen and you still get pulled with pay. It just is a matter of which bank you get paid out of, depending on when you make that call.
1: And how do you know which one they're using? Can you tell on your board?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You can just pull up your board on CROB Access and uh, FTS is a sick fatigue or or fatigue that's paid out of your sick bank and FTC is a fatigue that's paid at company convenience
0: is there ever a time that they'll uh, pull you prior to your report time and pay you out of the fatigue status? In other words, not using sick. So the other
3: scenario where you just get paid out of your sick bank is when you're just at home, you had a bad night for whatever reason, and you just know you're not going to report. You're not even going to attempt You call cruise scheduling. They pull you it's paid FTS, FT sick, and you're done. Um, other than filing your fatigue report, which we greatly appreciate.
0: <laughs> a little public service announcement
3: there yes. for the fatigue report.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so those are very important. So you can get a bunch of data from those fatigue reports?
3: Yes, the data um, is very, very important. And I know pilots are don't like filling out reports, and they feel like, I've done these before. What's, the, what's going to make a difference? They go into a black hole, and nobody ever sees them. They That's don't. They do not go into a black hole. Um, and we data, all see them. The company is so data-driven, and that is the only thing that'll start an argument from progressing to any potential solution. And in order to have that discussion, we need to have the data first. And that's where Fred and SRC have been so valuable. They are very, very gifted at digging through the data and giving us answers that are otherwise very difficult or impossible for a crew scheduling simply
2: because they just don't have um, their systems set up to do those kind of analytics. I might mention there is, there is one more uh, variation on a theme, if you will, calling sick before your pairing starts. Obviously, you ask one simple question, it's innocent, and there's so much complexity to it. And that's the world that we live in, in this fatigue business. But uh, the other aspect here that can be a player is if you have two pairings that are scheduled back-to-back, You're in domicile in between those two pairings. And let's say that you were originally scheduled with uh, 12 hours in between those two pairings. So the first pairing is running operationally late on that last day. So let's say you get get into your domicile two hours late. So you're right now down to your 10-hour minimum. Well, obviously, we'd all like to be able to go home and repack our bags and do the things that we need to do you can know right then and there that you're not going to be able to make report the next morning. When that happens, you can call fatigued right then and there on your drive home that night. Now, that will be paid as FTS, fatigue, sick. But in this particular circumstance, what we highly encourage you to do is go and talk to your domicile chief pilot. Show him how your previous pairing was running operationally late. And that chief pilot, as a matter of common practice, should be willing to convert that FTS over to an FTC.
1: Are they pretty good at doing that when you ask?
2: When we get a report that describes a scenario like that, I send
3: out um, a message to every one of those pilots informing them of this option because it's so down in the weeds, they don't even know it exists. And um, they reach out to their chiefs. Some bases are better than others, and I cannot explain why. It's been kind of a frustrating part for us because we see identical scenarios treated differently. And um, I don't know how else to improve that other than just continuing to inform the pilot group. But generally speaking, the chiefs have done a good job with that. Just a couple of hit and miss. It's just the inconsistencies and it's a judgment call. So, I mean, they're, that's how it's written and they have that prerogative. So we have nothing to really concretely argue against. And we really try to stay away from pay issues anyway, um, since this is kind of a safety program. So we'll inform the pilot of that, but we're not going to get down in the weeds and call a chief and make an argument out of it, type of thing.
1: Well, Fred alluded to the ten-hour rest on an overnight, so I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about FAR 117. You want to talk more to that, or one of you? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I have never been more fatigued in my <laughs> life since so, so so, uh, we see that over and
2: over and over in reporting. Isn't that the truth? So, you know, the 10-hour overnight can present enormous difficulties in and of itself, especially places like uh, LaGuardia overnights, uh, places where just operationally, once you park the airplane uh, and you walk away, it's tough to get into your hotel room within a fairly reasonable amount of time. You're already short uh, on the 10 hour overnight. And, uh, so sometimes that can really create problems because, you know, FAR FAR 117, uh, has two different components to that 10 hours. It says the pilot has to have 10 hours scheduled, but the pilot also needs to determine if he or she has an eight hour sleep opportunity inside of that 10 hours. And this is opening up a whole new can of worms. Uh, when we start talking about eight hours of sleep opportunity, I think that's important. Scott actually taught me this a few
0: months ago because it it was, I thought it was just a legality issue or a a fatigue Mm -hmm. issue.
3: And it's much more than that, isn't it? Well, we believe it's a legality issue because it's clearly written in the FARs. Uh, Unfortunately, this is one area where SWAPA and the company are in big disagreement on. Explain it exactly what you're
0: talking about when it's a legality issue. Why is eight hours a legality issue versus fatigue?
3: F.A.R. 117.25 section E and F clearly states. <laughs> okay, that's. You know, I, that's how much I read it, so yeah, I've sure. got to memorize practically. Okay. Um, as Fred said, you have to have an eight-hour uninterrupted sleep opportunity that exists within the 10-hour minimum rest period. The framers of the F.A.R. described in their rulemaking process how there are so many variables involved, transportation, personal hygiene, et cetera, that it's too tough to put all those pieces into a regulatory standard. So they left it up to the pilot to decide. And right now, I think, one, our pilots don't understand how important that is. They've told us pretty clearly that they have just sucked it up and accepted seven or six hours. Because on paper, they show legal. The computer shows 10 hours. And that's all crew scheduling cares about. They can't track the eight; Only the pilot can. And so this is where we run into that problem. The computer says one thing, but the pilot has to track this other thing. And so now when we're been spending a lot of energy trying to educate our pilots on this eight hour issue, it's becoming a little problematic for the company. They actually wanted to decide on their own that the eight hours exist. You just didn't use it appropriately. We argue, how can I be sleeping while I'm standing in my shower or brushing my teeth or waiting to check in or waiting to check in or, or, waiting waiting check the in. or yeah.
0: all of those other things. So, So that eight hours
2: uninterrupted sleep opportunity is the key right there. Yes. And you have to have that. You have to be legal before you can be fatigued. You have to have a legal assignment in front of you before you can be fatigued. So that's the crux of.
3: Yeah. The company wants us to force you into fatigue status in this case. And we, that's where we, as Fred and I object and we're the only two pilots in the room on the SAG, And so we understand this better than I think they do because we've walked a mile in those shoes. Pilots don't want to be forced into fatigue status when they haven't even attempted rest yet. It doesn't make any common
2: sense to them. And so that's why we argue it's a legality thing. And by the way, we're not only educating the pilots, uh, again, about the eight-hour sleep opportunity. We are also uh, educating the company on this as well within the the FSAG. Before we started seeing from fatigue reporting – from your fatigue reports that you weren't getting an eight hour sleep opportunity, Scott started really picking those up out of the data. And I saw uh, some of those as well. And it was becoming very clear that the company didn't have a process or an understanding of how to deal with this pilot. That's calling in saying, yeah, I, I I agree. I have 10 hours scheduled, but I do not have an eight hour sleep opportunity. So this FSAG program has been educational for the company and now If you were to call in and say, I don't have an eight-hour sleep opportunity, uh, they know more what to do with you now than they did before this started coming about.
1: It's a judgment call on the pilot's part, and sometimes they don't know what to do with that information, or at least they didn't. That's right.
0: So before we let you go, are there any other fatigue topics that uh, we really should cover for our listeners?
3: I would like to let the pilot group know that We are making change, and we're moving forward and not backwards. It's very slow, unfortunately, but we wouldn't be doing this if we really didn't believe we were were making an impact. Um, We've had some very noticeable changes to some pilots. So, for instance, our biggest success was actually rather early on where we identified lots of West Coast pilots doing East Coast original AM flying, your Oakland guy waking up at 0400 uh, Earlier than that, central, Eastern time. yeah, 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 which is like midnight body clock time for him in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how those guys ever, but they did it for years and years and years. And now with FAR one seventeen has made it easier to highlight this as a problem. Um, the company actually responded very well and rewrote the whole s- flow of aircraft and crews to eliminate the vast majority of those.
0: Have we seen any changes to the fatigue program
3: or any results from Hawaii? Has that had any impact yet? It's been, I think it's a little bit too early. We have seen some some odd layovers, like 24-hour layovers, which sounds great. But 24-hour layover is very problematic from a sleep-rest cycle
2: mm-hmm. because it throws you out of de- synchronicity. And generally, those ETOPS pairings, um, they transition from an AM-centric pairing into a PM-centric pairing just because of the nature of that flying. So, but yeah, Scott's exactly right. We're still Collecting data on that, we don't quite have enough data to really have any kind of statistical significance, but we're looking at that. We're monitoring it very closely and watching for trends as they develop. One of the issues that continues to come up that is probably more
3: relatable to a big section of our pilot group is what we call the virtual wrap change for reserve pilots, where your PM, primarily reserve, launched on a pairing that has very early AMs, day two or day three. And- Again, through the great work of SRC, we were able to concretely demonstrate this was happening despite the company telling us there's no problem here. This isn't really happening. Um, We made an overwhelming argument and they have changed internally. And so now they will pick an AM pilot if there was one legal and available that fits that same footprint. Well, that's a big help to our reserve pilots for sure.
1: Have you noticed any trends with the different demographics of the pilot group?
3: We've noticed an interesting trend for the probation pilots in that they are calling out in much higher numbers than we expected due to our assumption that they were very reluctant, more than the average pilot being new, being so-called highlighted. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, Fred has shown us with the data that they call out in equal or greater numbers in proportion to the general pilot group, which is very encouraging because it tells us that they not only believe in the program, but they're not afraid to use it simply because they're on probation. And I'm hopeful that the company is very appreciative of that as well. Well, it's a safety program, and yeah. that's really what bottom line is, right?
1: Right. safety so it
0: shows that we're all bought in on it, and that's good. Scott and Fred, we'd like to thank you for coming on the podcast to talk about fatigue and some of the issues our pilots face every day out on the
1: line. Before we go, please remember if you have any feedback for us at all, please drop us a line at com at We want to hear from you.
0: And finally, this week's bonus number is 59%. In 2019, 59% of all fatigue polls happened within 24 hours of a reassignment. This is just another reason why swapa is addressing excessive reassignments in contract 2020.
1: Southwest 801 Midway Tower, Runway 31 Center, Clear to Land.
2: Crow on Stat 31 Center, South 01.